This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Thursday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Detroit Tigers winning the series two games to one. They are currently tied with the Yankees, but only one game out of the division-leading Tampa Bay Rays and Toronto Blue Jays. A lot of ties in the division, but one game out of first. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? First regular season show for you. Yeah, yeah, first one, and uh, doing much better, much better than I was last weekend. So, good to get a series win. Were you jumping for joy that Jackie Bradley had one of his five good games of the year today? Yeah, yeah, it was good to get one early, you know, nice (laughs) to get one in there early, you know, so I think we can probably wait until May, middle of May, to get the next good one. The next one, yeah, yeah, three ribbies today. Part of that uh, shellacking. Well, we it didn't end up as a shellacking, but we'll get we'll get to that. Uh, Jason, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm terrible with this. Yeah, they can find me at Color of the Iris, um, and that's color spelled with an O U R. Uh, you'll you'll see me on there tweeting during the game. So, um, yeah, give me a follow. All right. Also joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, how are you? It's good to be back on the uh, Midweek Winners program because I believe (laughs) that's what we pretty much did all last year. Uh, If we had a handful of losing series during the midweek, uh, that that was about it. Well, good, good, good. So you guys happy to be in the back in the groove so to speak big time yeah it's feels like it's been too long so good good yeah i missed it you know it it just gives you something to do every day and you know we're just back in the middle of all the action i had a run-in with the cops today that's always fun yeah i got one of these uh electric bikes i probably showed you guys i posted on social media i got the back of it lit up like a christmas tree there's like three obnoxious lights in the back Cause I, I had to leave in, in the dark 
And uh, I'm not worried about the front because I can see in the front. You know, I can get very defensive. And uh, so no light up front. And then I noticed a car do a Yui behind me. It was a police officer. He gave me a written warning, though, which which is hilarious. And uh, the most hilarious thing about it, though, is uh, for the vehicle make and model part of the because it was an actual it looks like a ticket despite its, it's a um, warning. The vehicle make and model, he writes bicycle. <laughs> so, yeah. They can actually find, they can ticket you if you don't have a front light. Yeah. That's I'm a issue. vehicle. Uh, in the eyes of the law, I'm a vehicle. So I just took one of them <laughs> off the back, moved it up to the front. He was happy. He was kind of reasonable. He wasn't really, you know, giving me too hard of a time. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so. Got a series win. Didn't start off good. Very gloom and doomy uh, the first part. You're down, what, you're two and one and four, something like that? Yeah, one and four. Or no, one and three. One and three, one and three. I'm I'm bad at math. That's why I host a podcast. And um, so, yeah, but we come out of it uh, winning two. I thought thought game one was going to be the game we lost, but mostly because of Waka. I just think he's still a wild card. But it just ended up being the anemic offense still. And Waka looked really good after the first inning. Two of his three walks were in the first, settled down pretty nicely. So, Yeah, that was a team that got in at four in the morning. They looked like crap. True. They were sleepwalking that whole, that whole entire game. Yeah. Wasn't a good series for weather either. So don't know if that played a factor. All right. Well... On the midweek show, we are going to keep with the studs and duds format. So I guess we'll just jump right into the studs. So, Andrew, who do you have? Who's your first stud of the 2022 season? Well, it's appropriate. It's the leadoff guy, Kike Hernandez. As he goes, the offense goes. We saw that all last year, especially in the playoffs when he was hot. The Red Sox were hot. and He finally broke out in the second game yesterday. He got off to pretty much the worst start you can possibly hope for. Um, finally got his first hit on Tuesday, went two for four. Uh, again, today he went two for five, and he really set the pace. Today he had a home run. Yesterday he went opposite field for a couple doubles, scored a couple runs each day. And it just ignites the team. It's crazy how contagious hitting is uh, both ways, hot and cold with the squad, because I swear if they don't get – like a hit in the first inning from one of their top three guys. I don't think they're going to get one through the rest of the first time through the order, but Kike, he really set the pace today and yesterday, and that's what they needed. He jumped out. He uh, did the wrist tap Correa thing at, uh, in the car, at Erod, which is hilarious. Yeah. So good to have that energy back. And I think he's going to keep that momentum going forward. Cause that just seems to be the way he rolls. <laughs> Jason. Yeah, he he absolutely got off to a, a dreadful start to the season, but he's one of those guys I wasn't actually concerned about it. Um, you know, most other guys if they got off to that kind of start, I'd be like, oh boy, here we go. You know, we're we're in we're in for a long season maybe. But with Kike, you just knew he was going to snap out of it at some point. And Andrew's right. I mean, this team goes as he goes, or at least the offense does, because especially right now, you know, the series in New York didn't go their way. They went into Detroit. They got in at 4 a.m. They were a little tight. You could tell, like, it's just, you know, there's a lot of pressure on this team this year. So they were a little tight. And when Kike is going and, and he's hitting, he loosens everybody up. 
and it loosens up the rest of the lineup and they just kind of fall in line behind him. So uh, it was really important for him to wake up. He looked really good this series. And uh, I don't think you really have to be concerned about him going forward. He's going to do his thing out of the leadoff spot. Um, you know, he's, he, he's just the catalyst and that's why he's hitting leadoff and that's why he's there. So he was great this series and it was good to see him wake up. He was over 17 coming into yesterday. That's what the, uh, the slump ended at and pretty painful. He's not a guy you would think would, would get a start like that, but just today you look good. I mean, he hit a, he hit a home run on a one and one count, just kind of pounced on it later in the game. He drew a walk. So the, the plate disciplines there, he's, he's getting patient and, and, putting in quality at bat. So good to see him uh, come out of it for sure. Jason, go ahead. Your stud for the series. My stud is Raphael Devers. Um, I tweeted it over the weekends and, you know, he talked about, you know, going into the season, I'm not worried about my contract. I'm just worried about playing baseball. And he's lived up to that. Um, He's gone off to a great start. He went six for 14 in this series, scored a couple of runs, um, in fact, had the opposite of a Yankee Stadium special. He had a Comerica Park special where he hit a ball 393 feet. That was only not a home run in Comerica Park, which is crazy. But uh, that just shows how much of a canyon that ballpark can be. So he's feeling it. You know, the defense looks pretty sharp, too. Um, he's obviously feeling it with the bat. So that's exactly what you want out of Rafael Devers and you know, let's face it, he's probably playing for a contract um, as, as things are going. So if that's the kind of Devers you're going to get because he's playing for money, then by all means, let's go because you could have a monster year. He's just in a different place right now. It's, I think it would be just shocking to me if he went a game without a hit at this point. I Every time he's just making loud contact. And on that one that should have been a home run literally anywhere else. Like you said, I didn't even think he got all of it and he still put it what three ninety. So Devers is what's going to carry this team. If Kike gets on, there's like a 60% chance Rafi's driving him in. And that's what we need, especially if, you know, Vasquez and Bradley aren't producing at the bottom of the lineup. We need those top, top two, three to come through and Devers is pulling his weight. Devers, I'm starting to like, well, I always like what I see, so don't don't get me wrong, I guess, but it, there's a little bit different of a mindset this year. Number one, he's playing defensively like a man possessed. He's coming up with plays. There was a, there was a, a not really a line drive, but a, you know, a hard grounder hit by Jonathan Scope and Devers did this fancy spin around move to, to get him at first and we're going to talk extension all year long, but he's, he's a man possessed as far as that goes during the series, only two strikeouts. And today in game three, he hit the go ahead run and there was a runner on second. I forget who it was, but he kind of hit a soft liner. Devers did right up the middle. It just, just kind of putting it in play, punching it through a gap. Nobody was covering. It went into shallow center field. 
the run scored. Red Sox were up four to three. So his mindset seems to be a little bit different, whereas last year he was trying to murder the ball every time. And he still had a good year last year. I think he might have led the league in runs batted in, if I'm not mistaken. But I just, I love what I'm seeing. And like Andrew said, he did have a hit in every game, multiple hits in uh, two of those games. So love what I'm seeing. I'm not, I'll say this and you guys can weigh in. I'm not sold that number two in the order is really the best spot for him. I know he will get a few more at bats throughout the year, but he is your most clutch guy and, and JD's up there too, but I'd rather him be third or fourth and have traffic in front of him. If Kike's on Devers will be driving him in quite a bit, but what are you getting out of the eight and nine hole to, to justify having Devers second? I just, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I, I would be a proponent of pushing him further down the order a little bit. Maybe third or fourth is, is more appropriate for him. And you can either slot, you know, Bogarts in at number two or maybe even try J.D. in at number two. I mean, J.D.'s getting on base, too, at, at a pretty good rate. So I wouldn't hate that either. But I agree. I, I'm not sure number two is where he's going to stay in the lineup, you know, the whole season. Yeah, I'm the opposite. Actually, the Devers two spot was what I was pulling for really hard um, going into the season and last. And I just think it's such an important spot. The extra at-bats, I forget the math on it, but it's like 30 or 40 more at-bats than like if he was bad fourth over the course of a season. So I, I give me the two-hole. Let me see him drive a run in the first no matter what. Well, he did lead the league in that category last year. I, I just wish his mindset was a little different. J.D. Martinez, to Jason's point, 385 on base. He drew literally, in, in the third game today, three walks. Three walks. The guy is just quietly having a good season, and it's almost going to get to the point with J.D. Like, how do you not bring him back? I, you know, some of us, myself included at times, we're looking forward to freeing up some money next year. A lot of it comes off the books, but how do you not bring JD back when he's putting together a season like this? Yeah. And it's interesting because we always talk about the money coming off the books, right? David Price's money comes off the books next year and then everyone throws in. Well, so will JD Martinez's money. Um, just kind of because we all just sort of assume, yeah, they're going to let him walk. But he's already kind of stated that he kind of wants to stay, wants to finish his career in Boston. And I thought that he was going to slow down. I was really worried about him in the spring. But, yeah, if he's going to put together a really good year and just keep drawing walks, and I don't even care really if the power goes down a little bit, but if he's still getting on base and, and driving the ball at times, going to be hard to justify letting him go especially if you're poised to lose Sandra Bogarts or anyone else what do you think he's looking for year wise though two or three probably, probably. three uh two yeah. would yeah. be the market but I mean he could be a Nelson like if he plays Cruz. like a hundred yeah if he plays 140 145 games and hits 285 I think he's looking for three I that might I, I I just don't see the Red Sox coming up with that. Well, which I think they should entertain it. I that's that here's, doesn't seem to be their mo. Here's a thought. 
if we can't sign Devers, and I'm not up to speed on that, I guess Passon had, Andrew, you can fill us in on that, but if Devers can't, and the Red Sox can't come to terms, like if they mutually can't come to terms, and he ends up having to be traded because most of us agree he's not going to play that final year if he's not on a, an extension. So if Devers gets peddled, I'm just hoping JD is still available and hasn't signed because that's the lateral move, I think. Yeah, the Devers passing stuff today, they said he said the Red Sox offered over 200 million and he was looking for over 300 million. So that means to me that they're probably offered like 250. He wants that uh, Bryce Harper 13. 360 or whatever it was but i just i can't fathom a world in which xander's gone jd's gone and devers is traded like no has a team in history ever lost their two three and four hitters in one offseason without any you know no there's just no scenario like hypothetical i could come up with it, it just can't happen no and and it's it's really disappointing to hear how bad those talks really went and how just how far apart i mean it sounds like they were over 100 million apart on both bogarts and devers when they talked to him which is a really bad sign so if like you said if if jd does put together a good year and he's looking for three at not a crazy number i think you have to consider it because andrew's right you can't lose all three of those guys if you're going to suddenly lose bogarts and devers you can't lose JD too. That's like, I don't care how many great prospects you have that are ready to be called up. It's not going to ease that pain. And JD is going to be the easiest to retain. Arguably. I think he's probably in the three year, 60 million range. Maybe, maybe you bump each year up a couple million. Uh, now that the national league can, can bid on him since he's uh, a DH but yeah, we'll see. But quietly, um, JD is is putting together a good season. He led the Red Sox last year in doubles, by the way. So that that was another quiet uh, category. He led that... the led the league in doubles. Oh, did it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, my bad. I knew it was at least Boston. But all right, uh, we'll go with. My stud today, my pickings were a little bit slimmer than you guys's. You guys had two bona fide studs, but I'm going to go with Hansel Robles. He didn't have a spring training and was technically only signed to a minor league deal. I, I think it was a foregone conclusion. They were going to, you know, put him on the team and he, he was going to make the club, but. If we don't write the ship today, late in the game, it was 9-7 to seven in the eighth with the bases loaded, two outs. If we fall behind, this would have been the most devastating loss of the year. And we've got some tough teams coming up. Uh, we'll get to Minnesota in the final segment. And then it only gets tougher after that. You get, we're going to face... We're going to have three series against the teams that are tied for, for for first right now. So if you lose today, if Robles doesn't come in and shut it down, that could be an avalanche for the next week or so. And you're in a massive hole in the month of April. And I think a lot of us would 
be happy to be 500 at the end of the month. Just get through this brutal month, 500, and and you know find your chemistry, find your momentum. And I like what he did. We're in the next show. We're gonna get into a lot of pitching talk, and and we'll probably be talking some bullpen. So. I liked what I saw, and he seems to be continuing on what ended up being a very good September for him last year, and uh, it's nice to see. Thoughts? Yeah, he was. um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, he was. He he really kind of saved our ass today. You're totally right. That would have been hideous. And hopping on a team flight after blowing a seven-run lead, where it would—I I feel like even the announcers kind of called it at that point of the game. It seemed like everyone like took their foot off the pedal. It was like a team that went into in football that went to the pre-vet defense and then let up like two or three scores, an onside kick, and then you have to defend the last series of the game. I didn't like that they kind of took it so nonchalantly, and it started with JD over at third when Arroyo hit a soft roller to second while the defense is playing back, and he didn't run. Luckily, um, I forget, uh, oh, Vasquez drove him in on a sack fly the next bat, but it, it really felt like they took their pedal off, and Hansel bailed them out at the end there. Yeah, he was the safety valve today, and uh, you're right, Terry. Like, he didn't really have a spring training. When we heard his name pop up, you know, back in March, we all kind of went, Ugh, okay, I guess. Like, if you have to bring this guy back, fine. You know, he's he's still kind of a heart attack out there because we all know his history, you know, and, and how he can just implode. Um, but that was just such a weird, crazy inning for Red Sox pitching. Uh, Cutter Crawford was, was a mess. Um, Jake Diekman looked like he was going to be the hero again, came in bases loaded, punched out the first two guys and then just lost it. And then he hits medals in the back. Um, and I think even at that point, Eckersley was like, what the hell is going on with, with this pitching staff? Like, what are we doing? So yeah, Robles was, was good today. And look, you know, you ride him for as long as you can, because when, when he's on, he can be very effective. It's just that some days he just he's either on or he's completely off. I mean, he really is a flip of a coin. So he was good today and he really did bail their ass out. Absolutely. And uh, we'll get into some more bullpen talk potentially on the deep dives episode, which will come out tomorrow. All right, so let's uh, get into some honorable mentions. We kind of already touched on JD, three for nine in the series. Um, drove in some runs, pretty good there. Um, not Nobody else was really stellar in the lineup after that. Um, we touched on the pitching a little bit. Michael Waka, pretty good after the first inning. Uh, no offense to, to help him out. Rich Hill went four and a third, but... I think he was better than his stat line because he was the victim of a lot of bloop hits and um, he was great. Yeah, a lot of he had Christian Arroyo uh, out in right field, which didn't didn't help him uh, once or twice. So, um, so he he gave you the start. You know, if if those innings were cleaner, he goes at least five full and gives you the Rich Hill start that you're hoping for. Kept you in the game, gave you a chance to win. Nathan Avoldi, uh today in the in the finale. 
also uh, gave you the the start you kind of expect from him. Uh, f- you know, five innings. He'll probably stretch out uh, in in his coming starts, but only gave up a couple earned runs, walked only one. He's very reliable as far as not giving up a ton of uh, walks. So that was pretty good to see. Matt Barnes seems to be on the right track. Couple of uh, scoreless appearances. We thought a few days ago potentially going on the injured list. Um, Sawamura continues to have a, a decent year, which surprised me. I had very little faith in him. I don't think he's given up a run all year. Uh, so those... Wow, what, one egregious, just egregious uh, one left off I guess, was um, Whitlock. Oh, Whitlock, my bad. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was like, I, when, yeah, right. Four, four very solid off. innings, and <laughs> and there will be a lot of Whitlock talk on the on the deep dive show. So maybe that's what was going on in my mind. Just kind of save save some for uh, for tomorrow. But uh, like I said, lots of pitching talk uh, to to be on tomorrow's show. So check that one out. Uh, so, all right, let's flip it over to the duds side of it for the series. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. My dud was Ryan Brazier. He doesn't have it anymore. His fastball is completely, completely useless. It lacks any intimidation. He threw three fastballs in a row down the same spot. And what happens, the guy hits an absolute tank job off of it. Uh, Red Sox stats pulled up a great number on him. So since 2018, his fastball was averaging around 97, 97 and a half. Then it's down to 94. And if he's going to be mislocating with a a flat 94 mile an hour fastball, I don't see the spot for him on this team. It goes, I mean, there's a couple guys and I think Jason's going to touch on the next one that, you know, if some of the people in Worcester are bringing it, when they cut down these rosters, I don't see why they won't Brazier and guys like Davis won't be joining them down uh, down there because they're not providing any sort of relief. It's a heart attack waiting to happen every time they take the mound. And I'm sorry, a right-handed 94-mile-an-hour fastball is going to get absolutely pounded every single time out. So what, do you give them the fifth inning now when a starter can't get out? You're not giving them the seventh, eighth, or ninth. Uh, those days are gone. He, he Gave you four really good years, but I I think the ship might have sailed on him. Yeah, he's he seems Worcester bound. Um, you know, maybe maybe he goes down there see if he can uh, <clears throat> find some velocity or whatever it is he needs to do. Because um, yeah, the problem is, like, yeah, it's ninety four. It's also it's a ninety four mile an hour fastball with no movement. It's just a straight fastball down the middle. There's no extra like there's no deception behind it it's just basically 94 mile an hour batting practice um you can't be throwing that stuff especially in any sort of high leverage situation so um yeah hopefully when the rosters cut down when guys get healthy um we're not seeing any more of ryan brazier because yeah i i'm done with that guy how's darwin's in doing down there I'm trying to pull it up right now. Yeah, I, I'm trying to do the same thing. Not too bad. <laughs> Three, 318 ERA, struck out nine in 
That doesn't sound. Oh, he's being stretched out as a starter, though, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Okay. He had that game where what he drilled two guys, okay. struck out like six in two innings, something like that. A hilarious stat line, quite frankly. Uh, why is he? Uh, well, that's a that's a conversation for another stretched show. Stretched out? Yeah. Is that what you wanted? Yeah, I mean, they want him to be the swing man. He can't handle one inning half the time. We're gonna try him for <laughs> four or five, but I yeah, it just... they want him to be that two inning bridge guy. Is what they say. All right. I was just wondering, like, how does he have nine strikeouts and two appearances? But, yeah, he's being stretched out. All right. Well, good luck with that, Darwin's in. Uh, all right. Uh, Jason, go ahead. You're done for the series. My dot is Austin Davis, um, another guy who, like Ryan Brazier, I hope is not on this team uh, in the next couple of weeks. Effing big fudge over here. I, I hated this guy when we traded for him, too. As much as I was down on Chavis, I would not have given up a hitter with at least some potential like Chavis, who, by the way, hit a grand slam the other day. And by the way, like 375 with Pittsburgh so far. Um, and has yet to strike out this season. But we <laughs> gave him up for big fudge over here who does nothing but drop a big fudge in his pants every time he gets on the mound. He was so bad in this series. Um, the Michael Walker start, he came in, he ruined it. Bullpen was holding it together just fine until Austin Davis came in. Gave up a couple of hits in a run, a uh, 28-pitch inning in that game. And then today he comes in, 24-pitch inning, gives up three hits, including a bomb to Torkelson. Um, this guy's just – he's just throwing junk. He's just a left-hander throwing average junk that, like, any big league hitter is going to smash. That There's nothing that Austin Davis can do that is the least bit special. He's really only here because Taylor's hurt. And Darwin's in, like we said, it's mysteriously being turned into a swing man. So that's really it. That's the only reason he's here. As soon as Josh Taylor is ready to go, you can shoot Austin Davis into the sun for all I care because it, this guy is just so bad, and, and I'm so sick of seeing him. Yeah, you know, it's kind of weird because his stuff is like ticked up a little bit in terms of velocity this year, but he doesn't know where the hell it's going, so that's not to help. Um I personally didn't mind the trade so much. I was done with Chavis. I think Cora was definitely done with Chavis, but Davis just hasn't turned into what they thought, like, you know, what the Yankees did with uh, Clay Holmes from Pittsburgh, you know, like, well, unlock him. They didn't, there was nothing to unlock him, but apparently just leave that car unlocked all day. Um, yeah. He, he's gone right now. You know, if you get blown out uh, between now and May 1st, just, let him let him eat. Just don't burn any other bullets in that bullpen. Just that's the only reason we got him. He gets the seventh and eighth. Uh, Brazier gets the ninth, and unfortunately, it's your reverse save. But I, I, yeah, no use for him. Last year we only had Darwin's in and Taylor for lefties. This year we get a lot more. There's a lot more scenarios in play. So unfortunately, like you said, Davis is not long for at least the big club anyway. My dud for the series, he's only in he was only in one game. Expectations weren't high, but Travis Shaw is just doesn't I don't think he has a hit yet. He was 0 for 3 on the series. He's an automatic out. The dude has nothing left. He has been milked of everything he he had. 
And it, it probably was that grand slam last year that, that finished off the milk. And he, he's just got nothing left. And Dahlbeck, I think, is starting to turn it around. Uh, he's He's got eight strikeouts at, and 19 at-bats. Dahlbeck, eerily similar to last year, but kind of shown some flashes in, in the last few games. Gave us the go-ahead run, but... First base is not uh, an area of strength right now. And I, I know a guy named Tristan Casas is, is hitting moonshots in Worcester. So perhaps, I, I don't know, what are we at least four to eight weeks out on him, I would say. Yeah, I mean, Casas is, you know, still a ways away. Um, he is pushing his way up to the roster pretty soon. But um, yeah, that Travis Shaw is a, another one that you just looked at. He's like, why, why, why are we doing this again? You know, it, it's, he's done. He's, he's completely done. Um, will he latch on with another big league club? If you, if you let him go, probably, you know, he might serve a, a purpose in like a Pittsburgh or a Cincinnati or, you know, someone that just has a roster spot and like, all right, we could use some, some left-handed pop if he has anything left at all, but for this team and, and its purposes and what they're trying to do, Travis Shaw is useless. There are other bench guys that would be so much more productive than him. Um, so I just, yeah, it, I think after after April, uh, we can say the Travis Shaw experiment is over. Yeah, I'm on record saying he's my least favorite blue move so far, and I haven't liked, I mean, there's only been a couple I haven't liked, and he is definitely the number one. I just saw no use for him. Honestly, I'd rather have Franchu playing backup first baseman at this point. He's raking down Worcester. He seems to have a different approach this year. But I think it has a lot to do with Shaw being on the 40 and his money not being guaranteed if he plays like something like less than 40 games or something like that. Oh, or, he ain't playing 40. Yeah, or stays up less than 40 days. Maybe that's what it was. So I think on uh, day 39, hour 23, minute 59, um, we'll probably have our last ever say, sighting of Travis Shaw in a Red Sox uniform. They shouldn't have traded him in the first place, but shouldn't have brought him back either. It's The thing that's painful about it, though, is in the first game of the series, which was the loss, you got Shaw hitting seventh, Arauz hitting eighth and Bradley ninth. So it's just painful. Like it's painful enough having our and Bradley in there and you're going to throw Travis Shaw in there on a random game. I know we didn't have story and he came back today and, and had a, had a nice, uh, you know, first game back, but I probably should have mentioned him in honorable mentions, but still, I mean, you're, you're putting up the white flag when that's your bottom three. So, yeah, anyway, all right, more dishonorable mentions. Uh, Alex Verdugo, I feel bad for this, but he was one for nine, didn't really follow up um, the, the Yankees series with uh, a strong performance in Detroit. Vasquez, one for seven, looks like a continuation of, of last year at this point. Uh, Bradley was two for nine. I'll, I'll cut him some slack though. Cause he did have three ribbies today. Probably don't win the game if it wasn't for him, but you, you probably don't win the game if, if there's a different left fielder out there. Cause Austin Meadows wasn't tracking the balls very well. He wasn't playing the left field wall and you know, so 
Arroyo, I'm not going to get on him for being two for eight. Not good defense. That's probably a topic for another show, but we already went through. I guess the only other remaining one to talk about, Cutter Crawford, uh, not good. <laughs> Almost blew it. I, I feel like he's just like the Mike Shawarin from a couple years ago. Just looked okay in AAA, but just not, not really. It's no fit for him on the big club, I don't think. I don't mind giving Crawford a, a few more opportunities. You know, he, he's he's a young kid and he's he's shown flashes. I think he has better stuff than Shawarin did, you know. Um, but today was definitely ugly, and especially against that lineup. So I think if you do give him more opportunities, you've got to find soft landing spots for him. You know, if if he sees time in this Minnesota series, don't let him face Carlos Correa. Please, dear God. Don't let him face Correa or Sano, guys like that. Let let him face like the bottom of the order and maybe see if you can ease him back in. Um, but yeah, it he he was awful today. I give him a few more shots, but again, if he doesn't sort it out, then time to make a move. Yeah, I mean he looked so good the other night against a much better lineup. So I I think this might just be a blip. It was really crappy weather. Uh, who knows if pitch grip was an issue at that point, but when he was striking out Stanton, Judge, uh, Rizzo, and um, God, who Gallo came to think of his name, um, he looked great and he was he went what three innings, so I I have no problem letting him you know figure this out. He's a rookie, he's gonna have bumps if he gets him out of the way earlier and this makes him stronger. I mean, so be it. Something about the name Crawford in Boston, though. That outfielder about 10 years ago. Got him from Tampa. I don't know. Hopefully it works out, but I just... He's not a guy that was really on the radar, and we, we got a bullpen that's showing a lot of upside. So we're actually a little... We're running a little early, so let me circle back to just one more topic real quick before we get into the Minnesota series. Um let, let's go to right field here. You've got Christian Arroyo, who's probably going to hit with fairly regular at-bats. Uh, I thought he drove one in. Yeah, he drove one in in game two. You're losing a lot of defense, but you've got a guy in Bradley that you know you're not getting much uh, offensively. And I just feel like having to choose between the two is just the penalty box that we've put ourselves in by not getting that extra guy uh, before the season started, not making a trade or uh, assigning somewhere else. So what's better at this point, letting Arroyo figure it out or just, just rolling with Bradley? Well, when the lineup is, you know, what we expect it to be, and that's Trevor story batting in the six hole every day. I see no issue with Bradley facing righties because his defense, he came out there today. He made maybe four or five really nice plays Had a diving catch that that would have went to the wall. If Arroyo went after it <laughs> for an inside the park home run, he's a good security blanket. Like as far the way I look at it, he's your defensive wizard. It's like having who uh, Jose Iglesias before he was hitting 320 last year, um, man or infield. It's just nice to have. Uh, it's nice to have that up 
great defense all over. But if it's a lefty, it's Arroyo. You live with the bumps. He's going to get better. Uh, Bloom talked about it a little bit. He has good reactions. He was taking terrible, terrible routes to it, though. His first step is good, but he has to, and he will, with time, learn how to make uh, more direct routes to the ball because the blooper shouldn't have fallen in the other day, and then there was another terrible terrible uh, look he had. Um, I th- he'll get coached up. They'll work with him pregame. It can't go you know, any worse than it did. Yeah, I, I can't believe I'm actually about to say it, but I would rather just roll with, with Bradley in the lineup because, I mean, as painful as it is to watch him hit, it's equally as painful to watch Christian Arroyo play right field. Um, and Detroit's right field is actually, or at least until you get to that weird corner, is pretty forgiving. Like right field, true right field there is not too bad. And he's still just looked like he didn't know what he was doing out there. Um, and certainly at Fenway, forget about it. Can you imagine Christian Arroyo trying to chase down, you know, a, a line drive into that corner? Yeah, right. So, I, yeah, I would rather just roll with Bradley and hope that you get a day like today where all of a sudden he remembers how to hit and drives in a couple of runs. But at the very least, you know he's going to play solid defense, if not great defense. Um, but this is – look – this is the option that they have. This is the choice they have because you missed out on Suzuki and you know, the Hunter Renfro trade was smart because you traded him at the highest value. But I don't think the idea was to trade Hunter Renfro and have Jackie Bradley be his everyday replacement. So something got screwed up along the way there. They, they, you know, if they supposedly had a plan, something got screwed up and something got in the way of that because I can't imagine that, Jackie Bradley and an infielder who's never played the outfield before in his career was what they had in mind for the 2022 season. So um, that said though, yeah, just, just ride with Bradley. At least he'll give you defense. And if the rest of the lineup hits, then you can, you can stand having a 183 hitter in the nine hole, at least for a little bit. I'm going to give you a meaningless stat, but it's still a stat. The Red Sox are undefeated with Christian Arroyo as your starting right fielder. They haven't lost a game in which he started, despite the doozies that we've had. He had a – it was kind of a blooper that Bradley would have got to. An average right fielder would have made the play on the on the foul line. It just it fell in front of him. I think before long he's making that play, and he's made a couple of kind of finesse plays. They weren't that hard, but – I think Arroyo is naturally athletic enough to figure it out. And I think the lumps over the next two or three weeks in right field will pay off later on. He'll, he'll make those plays and, and then the bat will, will make up for um, what Bradley's not giving you. So neither scenario is perfect, but I'm still willing to ride it out. I, I don't think, I don't think a few weeks from now we're going to be saying that Christian Arroyo is an incompetent outfielder and you just can't have him out there. I, I think eventually it'll go the right way. I don't, Yeah, it's not that big of a concern for me who's out there no matter what. I don't think right field is going to be the issue that this team has that we're going to say that's holding them back. It's going to be lack of offense from the top of the lineup where they're expecting it or, you know, Walker or someone falling apart in the in the back end of the rotation. I, I really don't think that one 
below average position is going to, you know, be the doom that, uh, you know, derails your season. Right. And they, they could end up addressing it at some point, uh, you know, before July 31st. All right. So let's go ahead and get into the Minnesota series. Now, just to note here for the audience, um, this is a rare weekend wraparound series, a four-game set, so it ends on a Monday. So you won't have a Monday morning uh, podcast due to that. There's usually only three or four per year. I keep meaning to look up exactly when those are, but this is the first one. So uh, it'll be Tuesday morning uh, when when that gets released. So let's go ahead and get into that. Um, game one, Joe Ryan versus Nick Pavetta. I think that's a toss-up, really, uh, based on a number of things. But, uh, Jason, how do you feel about that matchup? Yeah, I, I like the Red Sox in that one. I think Pavetta is the more established pitcher. Um, this Joe Ryan kid has, has shown some good stuff. He looked pretty good in the spring. Um, you know, he, I think he's a the guy they got from Tampa Bay. Um, he's he's good. He's 26 years old. He's got some some good stuff, a lively fastball. But I think that, you know, now that now the game's matter. Again, he looked good in spring, but now the game's matter. He's going to be going up against a tough lineup. Red Sox are going to have a nice rest day and, um, they'll be ready to go. So, uh, and I think Pavetta is, you know, probably still kicking himself for for his last outing. You know, giving up that that late homer um, that really did him in. So, I think he'll bounce back in a big way. And I think that uh, Red Sox will take that one. Opening day, sixty eight degrees, uh, first pitch, start of a long weekend in Boston. That place is going to be buzzing. I think Pavetta carries that energy over. I I think you'll see the bats come out to play that day. Just checking the weather real quick. Um, Oof, this is bad. This is bad. Um, The high on Thursday in Minneapolis, 35 degrees. The high on Friday. It's it's in Boston. Oh, it's in Boston. My bad. Yeah, it's it's the opener. (laughs) That's... uh, that's the stereotypical uh, Cushman gaff there. Uh, all right, let's just check Boston weather real quick on the on the fly here. Much better, much much better. All right, so that's game one. I think that's a day game, right? Yeah, that's the home opener, sixty degrees. So uh, Sunday even better, uh, seventy degrees, sixty six on Saturday. Sun Sunday, it's gonna gonna rain oh i am i just gaffed again really bad thursday's an off day so the good news is pavetta gets the 70 degree day i'm just gonna stop talking about the weather because i'm starting to make weathermen look accurate and dependable here game two sunny gray tanner hauk two raging head cases how coming off of a ugly start that wasn't so ugly on paper but it was still kind of ugly and uh sunny gray who i don't think has very good career numbers against Boston and he could not pitch in New York. So um, who's going to, who's going to be uglier in game two? I mean, Sonny Gray's numbers got up in front of me. He's one in six with a 6.64 ERA. Uh, get, I'm going Boston in that one. Bats come <laughs> alive again. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm also going to go Boston in that one. I, I'm not a Sonny Gray guy. Um, I Obviously, those those numbers were mostly before he went to Cincinnati and kind of revitalized himself a little bit. But uh, I, I still don't think that he's anything all that special. I think the Red Sox have seen him plenty of times that they'll know what to do. And uh, as long as Tanner Houck can just keep his composure and not have too many bad innings, not not walk too many guys, keep guys off the base pass, then they should be good to go. I'll take the Red Sox in that one as well. I uh, I really don't know. I want to, Tanner Houck could show up and pitch a brilliant game. You know, strike out seven people, few walks. It's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. So if we get the Mr. Hyde, uh, I think you guys will be right. Potentially, though, that could be a very high-scoring game, and we'll uh, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Uh, Sunday, one thirty-five p.m. start. Uh, Bailey Ober versus Michael Waka. Ober, not the greatest uh, opening start of the year. Waka, decent enough, as we said earlier. Jason, who do you like in that one? I'm going to go Minnesota in this one, and it's purely just because I'm still not sold on Michael Waka. I don't think he pitched too bad in his first outing, but I'm still not sold on him. And Bailey Ober has only pitched against the Red Sox once, but he pitched very well. Uh, five innings, struck out seven, and looked pretty good. So, And he, he's, a, he's one of these tall right-handers too, and I feel like that always screws up batters a little bit when you've got that weird angle coming from a tall right-hander. So... I'm going to go Minnesota in that one because I think Ober has a good shot against the Red Sox. Yeah, I'm following you in the footsteps here. Uh, I couldn't pick a sweep. This is the game I think Minnesota gets. Uh, Ober pitched great against them last August. And there's the Red Sox, they don't, they just never have done great against a guy that they don't have a lot of film on. Um, they just don't. So for that reason, I'm going mini. It's a good point, Andrew. Usually you, you see a guy you never heard of. you got a robust offense. You expect us to win, and it just – last couple of years, it just hasn't hasn't worked out. So valid point. I just lost my uh, – oh, no, there it is. Uh, so finally, game four. That is uh, – actually, that's the Marathon Monday game, so that will be an 11-10 amp. So I'm just never going to get to watch baseball. Uh, during the week, apparently. Um, Dylan Bundy, who had a scoreless first start to the year versus Rich Hill. Um, Bundy has struggled in recent years, but uh, and I don't think Minnesota has a, a pitching program that's going to save a career either. So I, I don't think this is going to, uh, in the long run, be a, a good place for him. But uh, Jason, uh, who do you have winning that one? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Red Sox. I, it's hard for me to ever really pick against the Red Sox on Marathon Monday. I think it's a weird sort of home field advantage. Like, no team is used to playing baseball at 11 o'clock in the morning. So um, it's it's a good home field advantage for them. And Dylan Bundy against the Red Sox blows. He's 3-9 and nine with a 5.58 ERA in his career. So, um, and that's between his Baltimore and L.A. days. I agree with you, Terry. I don't think Minnesota has like this resurrection pitching staff that they're going to turn him around. I think it's not going to be a great spot for him. So I'm taking the Red Sox on, on Monday. Yeah, that high ERA isn't in a short sample size. He's got 20 games 
against the Red Sox in his career. And the biggest X factor of all, the City Connect jerseys are back for that for that game. Uh, uh. And they rattled off, what, eight in a row last year with those on? So we're going to keep that yellow and blue magic rolling this year. I can't wait to see them. Oh, man. I have three of those jerseys, by the way. <laughs> I need more. I've only got one. And it's, and it's a Bogarts jersey, so it may not have much value for much longer. Those would probably help me out when I'm riding my bike, my electric bike. Help me visible. I do wear. Oh, it absolutely would. We were, me and my wife had them, both had them on um, during the all-star game here in Denver. And I could spot her from across the stadium. It was like tying a balloon to a little kid. Like I had no problem finding her in a crowd. I was like, oh, right yellow. There we go. So yeah, wear that thing on your bike to, to work every morning. Yellow's the ugliest color on the whole spectrum. So I'm just, uh, man, I hope they go easy on that this year. I, and I hope at home, they wore the home whites 29 times last year. I don't care what they wear on the road, but wear the home whites a little more. There is no uniform more sacred in baseball than the Red Sox home whites. So I don't care what they wear as long as they don't wear those stupid blue ones, the dark blue ones. <laughs> yeah. I hate them. They could just paint the numbers on their chest. I think we closed out 2018 with that in the World Series. <laughs> they did. It was the ugliest jersey to win on. I, I, had I, a, hate them. I had a tweet where I said I, I hated that we closed it out in those jerseys. Oh, and everyone's right like, well, at least we won. You know, and I got roasted by half of them. One, but, one despite the jerseys. I don't mind the red ones so much, but apparently the rule goes the starting pitcher gets to pick. And Avaldi guaranteed one of those and – and I thought it was always the the red ones were only for Friday home games, or or if they changed that because I thought in the past it was home whites all the time unless it was a Friday game, and then Friday Fenways was always the red jerseys. Well, like I said, only according to Red Sox stats, which is like the holy grail for for many people. Uh, apparently, the home whites were only worn twenty nine times last year, so maybe we can verify that for another show, but. Right. Yeah, I would agree. That's not enough. They need to wear the home whites more. Yeah, yeah. Wear whatever they want on the road. I, I don't care. I mean, the grays are ugly, and I don't, you know. All right, well, we will wrap on that. Uh, hope you all enjoyed it. Nice to to win a series here. So uh, everyone have a good Thursday, and we'll be back tomorrow with Red Sox Deep Dives. Lots of pitching talk in that episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Take care.